This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, Stories Behind the Story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, Stories Behind the Story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Jackie French, welcome to Better Reading. Hi, thank you. Um, so, like, this is a moment for me. <laughs> it seriously is a moment. I have loved and admired your work for so many years. I've grown up with it. I was a bookseller for a long time, selling your books on the shop floor. That makes me feel terribly old. <laughs> Um, you have, I think you have changed uh, children's lives. You have changed parents' lives. You are such a big influence um, in people's homes, aren't you, in terms of reading? Actually, that is what I intended to do. People read for many reasons. People write for many reasons. And, look, I've written stories and books since I was six years old. But, yes, I do write with an agenda. I mean, look, partly I write because it is the sheer absolute joy that I discovered at six that um, I'd run out of books to read and I realised writing my own was even more satisfying because I could write exactly the book I wanted to read. But these days, consciously, particularly the last six or seven years, I've realised subconsciously I have been writing with an agenda that I want my books to be able to give kids an escape. I want to give them joy. I want to give them different ways of looking at the world. I want to teach them compassion and empathy because we are not born with compassion and empathy. Those are things that we are taught. And if the adults fail to do it, then yes, you will learn it from books. Um, kids, the world that kids think is normal is the world around them. And too often these days, the world around them is neglectful or incredibly superficial or incredibly depressing. I want to give kids the imagination and the courage and the joy to be able to face what is, let's face it, the sixth great extinction on this planet that they are going to have to live through. And that is what my books do. I hope it is giving them um, the confidence, the joy, the escape, the data, um, and also the new way of looking at things. So, oh. yes, they work out. Look, imagination, it's its like bodybuilding for the brain. We know that when an athlete works out, their muscles get bigger, and this is the same for imagination. And if we as a species are going to survive this, if the planet that we love is going to survive this, more than anything else, we need kids with optimism, we need kids with data, we need kids who can concentrate. Um, 
we need kids with imagination to find solutions and we also need kids who know how to escape when things just get too much. They can actually just put their feet up with a good book and totally and absolutely turn off and enjoy themselves, which is probably the role of 80% of books and it's an important one. Uh, Well, and also we need good storytellers. Now, let me just introduce you for the very few people out there that may not have heard of you. Um, Jackie was born in Sydney and raised in Brisbane. Jackie French is one of Australia's most beloved and prolific children's authors. I would say you're a national treasure. That's not in my notes. I just added that. <laughs> Jackie's first children book, a collection of short stories called Rainstones, was published in 1991 and shortlisted in the Children's Book Council of Australia Awards and the New South Wales Premiers Award. Jackie has since written over 140 books for children, young adults and adults, with her work spanning picture books, history and fantasy fiction. Some of Jackie's most popular books include Hitler's Daughter, To the Moon and Back and Diary of of a Wombat, which is my favourite, which has been translated into 23 languages and is the only picture book to win the Australian Book Industry Award. Jackie's also well known for her Matilda Saga series, telling the story of Australia through the eyes of women. Jackie is a regular contributor to the Women's Weekly and the Canberra Times and has also authored numerous non-fiction books about gardening, ecology and wombats. I like that. I want to talk about a lot of people, and I've, I grew up, I've been in this business a very long time and I'm old too, but I started working on the shop floor many, many years ago, and I worked in the children's department, and I was a children's book buyer at Dillon's in London. Wow. A very long time ago. So I, I stayed working on the shop floor for the yes. large part of my career yes. until I transitioned 15 years ago, uh, which is really the best place to be if mm. you're a book lover. Oh, yes. I mean, they're just such valuable people, booksellers. Yes. But anyway, people used to often say to me, oh, yes, yeah, so I want to write a children's book. Yeah, so I want to write a picture book. And... People, I feel, never understood the complexity of writing a short story and how you, how hard it is to convey a story, plot, I mean, everything into a couple of pages. And that to me is fantastic storytelling. It is extraordinarily hard work. It is. Um, one of my most optimistic moments came when Terry Pratchett, whose work I adore, wrote a picture book. Now, this is a man who is a genius in any terms. Yeah. It was a truly lousy picture book. Yeah, of course it, it really was. was. Because he writes long, long form fiction, yes, doesn't he? Yes, yes. Wonderful, complex. Yeah. Uh, insightful. Yeah. And the concept of the book was superb. Yeah. Yeah. But he did not do it well. No, he, he, he had didn't. simply assumed that this is actually just a short work that someone adds pictures to, mm. and it did not work. Mm, it did not work. Now, before we start talking about um, your books, I want to talk about you and how you came to be a writer. You were saying you wrote your first book at six. So tell me about um, life in Sydney and why you moved to Brisbane and how it is that you came to be writing and how it is you came to be published. We 
lived in Sydney with my great-grandmother, who was the one who brought me up till I was three and a half. That was because of the housing shortage after the war. Um, if I hadn't, I doubted I would have survived, as motherhood was not one of my mother's talents. Um, by the time we left Sydney and I was three and a half, I was able to read fairly fluently. Um, great-grandma, well, she had not been a teacher because, of course, married women were not a teacher. She just happened to be married to a teacher and teach half the kids in the school. And so, obviously, she actually had taught me how to read, which was useful as I'm dyslexic. We moved to Brisbane partly because my father's mother deeply disapproved of my mother with probably very good reason given motherhood was not one of her talents and to say it wasn't an easy childhood is an understatement I'm considerably older than the other children in the family and the life I led was so bizarre I learned very quickly not to talk about it at school. It was abusive in many senses, exploitive in many senses. I mean, even, for example, um, when I turned 12, signing a statement saying I was 14 so I could work to um, pay the fees for my brother mm. to go to a private school. Um, at 15, um, I was kicked out of home after I possibly broke my mother's boyfriend's nose with a telephone in one of his repeated attempts to rape me. Um, I was homeless for short periods of time, but no secure home for, for a couple of years, um, moved around. Um, it's difficult to know what to say because um, I actually really don't want to be known as the person those things happen to, um, nor in fact do I want um, the next generation to to actually know that about their ancestors. It's it, it's it's very difficult. Um, Unfortunately, in my position, people keep asking me about those years and um, one can either say no comment or skirt around it as I've skirted around. But it was, it was very, very bad. Brutal. And I think that was probably, um, it was the ability to escape into daydream, but even more than that, um, I was incredibly lucky to go to high school at Brisbane State High at a time when a group of very idealistic teachers wanted to extend pupils with talent, and they did. I was given books. It wasn't until I went to university and realised I knew the entire syllabus of undergraduate syllabus in most of those subjects that I realised just how extraordinarily good um, my education had been. I still remember actually Marty Sullivan. The, well, he was a history teacher then while he was doing his PhD. He ended up as a professor of history and literally leaping into the room and saying, look, revolutions do not begin when times are bad. Revolutions begin when things are getting better and people have hope. And I just sat there and thought, wow, yes, okay. It is not about names and dates. It is about the story of humanity. Humanity, and it was, um, I just see this 
incredible universe opening up with his words. So I had the most. It is had, about the story. It, it is. I had, I had the most brilliant teachers and the most wonderful education. So look, on one hand, yes, things were very difficult. In fact, even to some extent, um, certainly not having enough to eat for about three, three or four years. Um, on the other hand, I was being given exactly what I needed. I never once doubted because of the encouragement of those teachers, the extra work they were giving me, the encouragement they were giving me, just the sheer excitement did they your, were giving me. Did your siblings have the same opportunity in terms of education? Um, they did, but um, I wasn't allowed... Um, my mother wouldn't get me see my brothers and sisters um, until their their marriage about ten years mm. afterwards. Um, she took everything I owned, in fact, to the dump. The books I'd written, the books I'd loved, my toys, mm. everything just went to the dump. Mm. Um, I was just wiped from um, wiped from the family and wiped from. They're Do you know, Jackie, I often, I mean, you know, we've interviewed so many writers here and reading seems, for many of them, reading seems to be an escape uh, and not necessarily from um, a difficult upbringing like yours. But there are those that were perhaps isolated, you know, that grew up in the country mm. and reading was an escape. There are those that, you know, didn't fit in socially, you know, they had great parents and went to a good school but they weren't comfortable and reading was an escape. And I hear that time and time again. Reading and writing are both really a very, very deep, profound form of daydream mm. and it's no coincidence I mm. think that exactly that that kids who are isolated for one reason or another need an escape for one mm. reason or another need hope need joy need a whole range of things um think about the people the friends inside a book covers they are reliable they are always there for themselves look for me Jane Eyre when Jane Eyre is being pressured um, to be the mistress of Mr. Rochester because no one cares for you. It doesn't matter what happens to you. Um, you may as well please the man you love and suddenly thinking, but I care for myself. I will not do what I know is wrong. I will do what is right. And for me, those words just kept on reverberating through um, when I was 13, 14, 15, just thinking, no, no matter what any adult tries to make me to do, um, that is irrelevant. I will still do what is right. Mm. So when you finished university, what did you think you were going to be? <laughs> um, by then I had fallen in love. I discovered Jane Austen, um, discovered sex, um, got married, um, We'd been living on an avocado orchard caretaking it and I knew I wanted to give in the bush. I'd always wanted to give in the bush ever since reading um, The Magic Pudding. And I thought the only way of giving in the bush is to become a farmer. So we went down south, got jobs, um, earned enough money to buy a farm, which was mostly 90 degrees in black green rock, yeah. um, started as a farmer, um, went broke, marriage broke up. I was giving in a shed with a baby, a black snake, a wallaby, and a woman called Smudge, and a typewriter I'd found at the dump that the wombat used to leave his droppings on, so the letter E didn't work at all. It was all <laughs> soft and scoopy, and... I needed $144.46 to register my car. 
And I only had just over $7. A friend who was a freelance journalist suggested I send some of my writing off. Now, I'd always wanted to be a writer. Everyone had told me, no, no, dear, you cannot make a living being a writer in Australia. I'd written, I'd written mostly after I left school surreptitiously. Um, so I pulled out manuscripts. I typed them, um, without the letter E, um, put the E in Byro, <laughs> sent. A- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A story about the Lyberts, the Canberra Times, one about organic control of scale to hobby farmer, and a story called Rainstones to Angus and Robertson. And I heard years later what happened to two of those. Um, the Canberra Times one, it was thrown in the bin by the sub-editor. The editor came along, looked at it, um, sat, well, sat on the ed- um, sub-editor's desk, accidentally knocked over the waste paper basket pushed everything in, kept my story out to fan himself. And as he fan, fanned, read it. And three weeks later, I had a regular column on the back page of the Canberra Times wow. writing about the kids in bush. Hobby Farmer yeah. offered me a regular column. Um, Collins, the editor, gave a shriek of laughter, said it was the worst-built, messiest manuscript they had ever seen went into the main office to read it aloud to everyone so they could laugh at this appallingly written story. And to her shock, um, the quality was not really the same as the spelling and the mess because there in the office she read the entire book aloud, then went back, rang me up and offered me $400 as an advance. Um, I'd never had that amount of money and were you still a single mum there? Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. And $400 um, was enough to pay the rego yeah. and to keep me in fact um, and actually um, someone I um, paid to also help um, look after my son for two hours a day as well um, and so I could write another two books which got advances and by that stage Rainstones had come out being shortlisted for the Premier's Award and the CBCA Award and the publishers very rashly said um, we would like to publish whatever you write. Uh, that was probably that about was uh, two, day, 200, so that was about 240 books ago. Um, <laughs> actually, I, actually, I don't think they've actually regretted it. They've still, um, but yeah. I, I think they had absolutely no idea quite, um, how many books were going to eventually. Cause you've eventuate. stayed with the same publisher, haven't you? Yes. yes. And look, with good reason. Yeah. Um, you, First of all, you learn to trust your editor. Um, if Lisa says it doesn't work, I don't waste time. Quest- no, Lisa is right. But also, too. Lisa who? Berryman. Lisa okay. Berryman. Well, so, well, at Harper Collins. Li- yes, life, life just works a lot easier if everyone just agrees what 
Evergreen says is correct. Okay, great. Um, That's the first lesson you need to learn is, as an author. It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second one is though, that they now know I like being heavily edited. If they say something does not work, I'm not going to get a huff and go to another yeah. publishing house. I'm going to accept, okay, it doesn't work. Um, a good editor doesn't necessarily know what will work, but they can always tell what doesn't work. Yeah. And I, so, I like that as a reader. I, mm. I can sometimes pick a, a, a book, well, I can pick a lot. If if I don't like it, it's because the craft and the storyline just aren't melding together properly exactly. for me. yes. But I wouldn't know how to fix it. Yes, and, yes. It, and it can be very, very difficult to actually pinpoint what character, what place, yeah. why it doesn't. And yeah. a good editor can do that. They can yeah. say, this is where it doesn't work, this character is thin, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, they're miracle makers, I think, editors. They, they? they really are. They're like makeup artists when you go to a TV studio. Studio. Do you know that feeling when you just sit there and you look in the mirror and think, oh, God, mm. and then they go over you and then you think, wow. Oh, okay. wow, yes. I'm ready for yes, this. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's similar to editing. <laughs> it, look, it, it is, but that is the joy of staying with the same editorial team. You, you know each other and, yeah. and you trust each other. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that, that makes an incredible difference. Yeah. And also, too, it's um, – it's a very, very close process. You actually become friends. These mm. are people you are working with incredibly closely because a book is not just got. There is an enormous amount of emotion and, in fact, in fiction, you are probably revealing far more about yourself than mm. you ever would in about an autobiography. Oh, without a doubt. And so it means these these are people you trust and the longer you work with them and people in the team may change, but nonetheless you know that the others in the team have chosen those, that person. So again, that trust is just always there. You simply don't have to question it. It's, it's a bit like actually the best, the best kind of marriage. Yeah. Um, you just know he's there. We don't have to think about it. This is just the basis on which we base our lives. Tell me about collaborations. I want to talk about Diary for Wombat because I just love that book. I mean, it translated into what? Over a hundred languages, which to me is strange because it seems so quintessentially Australian. We didn't expect it no. to be translated. Tell me about that, how that came about. I was on the phone to a friend wanting to know what is that noise? And I would say, oh, that's just mothball bashing up the garbage bin. Oh, look, she's, that's just her um, ripping up the doormat. Oh, no, she's trying to dig a hole in the door. And I realised, in fact, I had the diary of a wombat sort of scratch. So that was her wombat doing that? No, that was mine. That, oh, that was, that was That was mothball. Oh, um, right. Who could hear me on the phone and the doorway is a metre away from the phone. Right. And mothball wanted carrots and yeah. um, could hear me being completely negligent talking right. to Val rather than um, doing my duty to wombathood. My dog does that when I'm on the phone. He's just so angry with me. He'll exactly. Go, yeah, they don't like it, do they? And, and there's no human there. So yes. why, why, why is your human wasting time on the phone <laughs> when they when they could be doing something useful? Like, like actually, patting me. Yes, <laughs> or playing with a rope or bringing out carrots my or something dog, like You'll that. appreciate this. My dog's called John Brown, <laughs> as in John Brown Rose <laughs> and the Midnight Cat. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I yeah, love it. I really love that picture book. Okay, so talk to me about that. Yeah, so you've got the wombat. We've got the wombat. However, I am a slightly obsessive about wombats, which is an understatement. I think I got the sense of that. And it took a while to find someone who would create a real wombat. And, of course, there is a problem. We are talking about a brown wombat in a black night. This is not 
easy. No. And we tried several illustrators and then Bruce created that. And did you know Bruce? How did that collaboration Um, happen? It was more or less accidental. We wrote our first books at the same time. They came out the same time. They were shortlisted for the same awards at the same time. So, in fact, there we, with everyone else knowing what they were doing, and we were sort of um, edging together. They want us to write about, talk about how we wrote the book. We don't know about how we did it. We just sort of... (laughs) <laughs> and we have to give a speech now. Um, what are you going to say? I don't know. What are you going to say? Um, so we did know each other vaguely from that, but he'd been working in the US for a few years. He'd just come back again to Australia. Yeah, we had him in for a podcast mm. recently. Mm. And it was, it was yeah. Giza Berryman who put us together and it just immediately, immediately worked. It's like he just got it, didn't he? He got the story immediately. Well, he also based the wombat on his dog, Smudge. Oh wow! Which is which I is who who um, behaved in fact very much like Mothball, mm. and so I think that was also one of the reasons why he got both the sense of movement and the sense of absolutely no movement at all. We're just going to scratch and sleep now, and yeah. this is a very important thing. He he got it immediately. Do you think? I I, I try often, and I read picture books a lot, um, and I try often to work out. Pamela Allen is another favourite mm-hmm. of mine, um, who sank the boat. I love that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often wonder what is it? Is it, it's rhyme and repetition, humour? Tell me, what is no, it? No, I think there is actually a lot more in a good picture book. Diary of a Wombat is not just about a stroppy animal. Diary of a Wombat is in fact quite profoundly about two species who will never, ever understand each other no. and yet work out how to coexist and even enjoy each other's company. Um, it is actually a book of extreme depth and when you talk to kids who've loved it, they've actually they've changed their world view having been brought up with that book. They realise that you regard other species with empathy and with respect, and even if you don't understand each other, you can coexist. It is a very, very, very corrupting book. Who Sank the Boat? Um, Again, there is a profundity there. Um, So many people can get into that boat. One too many doesn't work. that's something, in fact, um, most politicians and a lot of bureaucrats really actually need to read who yes. sank the so boat. She was ahead of her time, wasn't she? Yes, it is, it is a very, very profound story. You can already have very large animals in there, and so you assume everything is absolutely fine. But who sank the boat? Mm. And so I think... That's why people who think, oh, I've got a lovely idea about the little elves who give them a washing machine and make a noise every time you turn it on, etc. They don't realise that, in fact, the best picture books are layered. Um, And with so few words. With with so few words. And, in fact, mostly what I do is I write the book, but then my next 60 rewrites are taking words out, is that out. how you do it? Oh, yes, yes. yes. Um, well, particularly um, 
I was going to say particularly with Bruce, but that's that's not the case with everyone. Um, Because you often need more words. I mean, look, giving someone um, a page that says slept on it, um, they won't even know what animal you're talking about. So um, you do need to add more to it. But as the artist puts their work into it, then I cut mine back. Ah, and so that process oh as yes, well. okay. and it's also the knowledge too that this is a collaboration. There is a difference between an illustrated short story, illustrated short story. Okay, this is my story, and you will illustrate it. That's yeah. different. A picture book is a co-creation. I will write the words with a concept. Yeah, it will go to the artist. Yeah, and then it's theirs, mm. not mine. They don't come back to me and say, "What do you want here?" This is their work. Oh, I did not realise Oh, that. yes. Yeah. And then the third really important element comes in. You have got the editor who has got my work and their work and we produce a third thing and that is the book. I provide words. They provide art. It is the editor who creates the book and the editorial team who creates the book. And I always feel it's deeply unfair that it's just the writer's name and the artist's name on the book when, in fact, all we've done is the artwork and the words. The person who has made this a book, the one who has actually worked out the pacing, um, realised that, no, this needs to go here, there, blah, 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 blah. There is so much to actually creating a book. It'd be different if we were, um, say, decorating um, a pyramid, mm. um, if Bruce and I were, um, say, about six or 7,000 years ago and we'd just been actually hired to write the write the um, wonderful, wonderful history of a pharaoh. That's fine. We would just mm. actually be working out and say, okay, how about do this? Oh, don't forget when you fought the crocodile there, et cetera, mm. et cetera. We just work round and round and round the pyramid. Mm. This would be easy. But no, that's not the case with a picture book. With a picture book, every time you turn the page, it has to be unexpected. If at any time the reader can predict what they are going to say, it fails. It completely and utterly fails. Mm. Um, a novel, you're building up to some great climax. A picture book has a climax on every single page. You turn it and it's a shock and it's a joy. You did not expect that. But also as well, it's building up that sense of belief. I remember with Pete the Sheep, Bruce did, I think, one of the funniest illustrations I've ever, ever seen of his. It is um, of the shearer, Sean, um, at a milk bar with his sheep, Pete, with the hat on, and they are both drinking strawberry milkshakes in a 1950s milk bar. Yeah. And it is just sublime. Right. It is wonderful. And it does not appear in the book because at that stage of the book, it would have been too much of a stretch for the reader to actually think of a sheep in a milk bar drinking a pink milkshake. (laughs) We had to do a lot more of the story before, so we very slowly worked up to Pete being able to have that kind of role. And it was heartbreaking because we just loved that page so much. But it did not work. Jackie, you're a magic storyteller. You're not – you can – 
you not only write it on the page, but you're a great orator. I could sit here for hours speaking with you, but unfortunately <laughs> we've run out of time. Jackie French, um, it was an absolute privilege chatting with you today. It, God, it was an absolute joy. I, I wish we could do it for another five hours. <laughs> I do too. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.